Uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to James chapter 4. Uh, James chapter 4. Now, if you uh, have already cheated a little bit uh, and looked on your talk notes, you'll see we're only traveling through about five verses today. Uh, some of you got excited and you texted all your friends saying, hey, we're going to be out early today. Uh, that won't be the case. Uh, we will somehow manage to fill up those five verses in the next three and a half hours. So, um, but but let's, uh, let's, let's talk about where... Uh, James has been leading us uh, and where he's going to be taking us these next couple weeks. Um, so, so early on in James, he's talking about how it's possible uh, that there are people who claim to be believers in Jesus who actually aren't, uh, who have deceived themselves into believing that there are certain religious movements you can make in your life to, to believe you're saved, but actually be very far from God. And and we don't say that to make you be scared, like, oh my gosh, what if I'm not saved? Uh, he says that there is a way to live this life that, uh, in your deception, that doesn't lead you uh, through the gospel. And, and so he calls us to evaluate um, our lives and to search the fruits, or he'll say the works that are coming out of them to test whether or not our faith is genuine or if it's lacking, and, and not that um, we are saved by our works, but he says that, that your salvation shows itself uh, in, in your fruits. And so these, uh, this has led us to these past two or three weeks um, towards understanding a difference in when it comes to how we walk in wisdom. Uh, and he says that there's two different kinds of wisdoms. There's, there's a false wisdom, and then, uh, which, which is basically this, this way it's built upon some ideas about who God is and how God behaves, uh, but ultimately it's going to strive to attempt to draw the attention of your life back to you. Uh, its intent is to make much of you, not as much of God. Uh, and then he'll, he'll talk about this heavenly wisdom or this true wisdom uh, that says the very, very similar things that uh, false wisdom says. It's, it's built upon some things about God and it, it will say... Um, and we'll talk about how God behaves, but, but the difference is that it draws the attention of our lives toward the glory of His name. Uh, and so, uh, so the, the kind of fruits that get produced are different. So when we walk in false wisdom, uh, He says you will find things in your life like selfishness and jealousy and boasting. And now we take those three things and we say, oh, well, that's not me, right? Uh, now, what James will say is it's hard to know. It's hard to know when that's you because we tend to mask our selfishness and our jealousy and our boasting uh, and we tend to justify those things in our lives. And, uh, but then he'll say when it comes to, to true wisdom that you will find things taken blooming in, in ways out of your life. Things like uh, peace and gentleness and, uh, and mercy and sincerity and those things will come out of those steps. And so, so for a visual, um, what, what James has been doing is he will say, hey, this thing called wisdom, uh, think of it like the walls of a house. Okay? Uh, that as people look at your life, as you operate in wisdom, think of it as like the wall of your house. Now, where we go this morning and really into uh, next week uh, is, is really the difference between humility and arrogance. And, uh, and so those two things are going to be foundations on which these walls are actually built. And what he's going to end up telling us, uh, because we're going to spend our time talking about foundation, 
But, but really, these next two weeks is going to be covered with the roof of where does our dependence lie? Um, when, we, when we think about depending on ourselves or with God, where does that actually rest? And, and so if the foundation is the difference between um, humility and arrogance, then the roof, the dependent, I'm sorry, there's like a zillion people moving out there. Will you tell them to just stop? It makes it easier for me. Everybody just have a seat in the hallway. Uh, and so, it's, it's, does everybody need to go to the bathroom? We can take like five minutes. Everybody go to the bathroom, come back. No? All right, we'll fight through this. You need to go? All right, we'll just sit. You just tell me when you're back. Um, and so, so, so James is going to tell us to look at the dependence these next two weeks. Today he's going to tell us to look at the dependence you have in your planning. Uh, and then next week he's going to say, look at the dependence that you have when it comes to your treasures, uh, when it comes to your finances. And, and now, fair warning, the weight of the text really is going to be on the limitation of man. Uh, and so I'm sure you're not going to walk out of here this morning with the warm fuzzies, all right? Uh, but when has James seemed to be concerned about warm fuzzies at all, right? Uh, and so, uh, but I, I joke about that, but really what James is helping us see is something powerful regarding the steps of our lives uh, and regarding how we walk in health, in freedom, in peace, in joy, and most importantly, how we walk with God. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get going to James chapter 4. Father, we come to you. We are so very thankful this morning uh, that you care about us so deeply. We are so very thankful this morning that you walk with us, that, that, that there are times in our lives that as a loving Father, you will challenge our hearts And I pray as we get to discuss um, where it is we lean when it comes to to our dependence, uh, that you would help us walk through um, both our own dysfunctions, but even more importantly, you would help us walk through and see the path that you have laid for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we pray that he would speak to us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. All right, so here we go. Uh, chapter 4, verse 13. You ready, Lawson? Let's go. He says this, Come now, you who say, all right, uh, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, Oh my gosh, nobody saw that, right? All right, here we go. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Uh, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is what? Sin. Oh man, you're like, ah, we're a church that uses that word, huh? Yeah, afraid so. Um and so, so here's, here, there's going to be this principle that I believe James is trying to teach us this morning. And it's simply this. that you're, and we, It's so important we put it in your talk notes. That your plans say something about where your dependence lies. Your plans say something about where your dependence lies. And now we're, we're going to unpack this principle further, but we can start by, by I think, admitting um, that, that there are times we make plans with God in mind. Uh, and then there are times we make plans with ourselves in mind, right? Uh, and, and usually those plans that, um, 
that we make with ourselves in mind and not including God into the conversation usually they end us in a pretty dangerous spot. Uh, and so James, who again serves as captain self-esteem uh, with us, is, is going to raise some arguments uh, that concerning us as opposed to God. And the first thing he does in these verses, he comes in and he says this, you lack knowledge. He says, he says you, you lack knowledge. And now I get a lot of us like to think that we're knowledgeable. And he's like, no, you, you don't. You, you lack the knowledge. Actually, he's being very generous in his assessment. Uh, because what, he, what does he say in uh, verse, uh, I think it's 13? He says, uh, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know. Now, I think there, there are two types of people in regards to this illustration. There's those of us uh, who have plans who has an idea about tomorrow, and we've listed it out, we know, you know what time things are going to happen, we know um, what things are going to do at certain times uh, throughout the days, and then there's those of us who, as long as we wake up tomorrow, we just assume something's going to happen, right? Um, there's the planners and the non-planners, and you need both of those in your life, by the way. All right? And, and so some of us have this built-out, written-down plan for tomorrow. Others of us have no idea how tomorrow's going to go. We're just confident it's going to happen, right? And yet, regardless of how we're wired, whether, whether we know what time the alarm's going to go off or um, when our meetings are going to be or when we're going to eat lunch uh, and how long that's going to take us to digest that lunch, right? Uh, we, we, we all live with this understanding that, that the truth is all of our tomorrows can be thwarted by outside factors, Right? Have you ever experienced the tension of I had a plan for tomorrow and then something else happened and I didn't get to do that plan? Right? Every day? Yeah. Yeah, you're like, every day. That's, that's what I have. I don't know why I have a planner. I spent a lot of money getting the Stephen Covey, you know, every day of my life, goal planner. Uh, some of you Stephen Covey fans, when you were, yeah. Um, seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Heather. Learn it. Um, so, but we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And, and again, I think, I think James is being very generous with us here because if we're honest, we don't know what today holds. We don't. In fact, uh, I, I don't know what comes after this. Uh, I have an idea of what it's going to look like. Like our, our afternoon simply looks like this. We'll, we'll have our time together uh, and then we will pack up. We will leave. Today we have a soccer game. Uh, and so as we're driving in the car to the soccer game, my son will have told me, what an inspiration I am. And Cana will have taken this text through the Greek and said, hey, did you think about this? And, uh, and Kelly will just have um, be singing The Greatest Showman because she loves the, great, the bearded lady and she nails it every time. Uh, you know. And then my wife will just stand there and she'll look at me and be like, I'm so lucky to have you in my life. And, you know. So I have, I have a plan for how this works, but, but, but until that happens, all of it can change. Right? And, and I, have, I have no idea of how any of this will actually happen. I, I don't know if I'll even make it home today. And there, there, isn't any, there isn't anyone in this room right now whose life can't be dramatically changed by the ringing of your cell phone right now. That's true. And, and, and we're, we're, just, we're just fragile. And those, those moments in our lives that seem to catch us by surprise are simply reminders of how fragile life was always the entire time. Right? Your phone rings, your life changes forever. 
You don't know it until it happens. And so, so James is pointing out, he, he's going to say, uh, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And actually he says, you don't know what, what today will bring. And in the middle of this, this, this lack of knowledge, he adds this next line. And he says this, what is your life? He says, he says you are a mist. And, and that word is important in this text, because in the Greek, when it says mist, he doesn't refer to it as a, as a fog that will kind of stay for a couple hours. Really what he means is you are a vapor. All right? You're like a, a puff of an e-cig. Like all of a sudden you were there and then you're gone. Right? There's no evidence that you existed anymore. He says, what is your life? You're just a, a mist. And so what he says, again, Captain Self-Esteem, he says, not only do you lack knowledge, but number two, you lack the power to do anything about what you do know. You lack that. He starts to unpack this further. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Then vanishes. One of, one of my favorite quotes, I think I've shared this with you a couple times. You're like, I'm tired of this quote. But one of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Count Zindendorf. Uh, mainly because I like to say the word Zindendorf. Uh, but it's this line that he says this. He goes, he goes, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I think this is what James would tell us. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Because that's what's going to happen at the end of your life anyways. You will completely just vanish. And his statement about you and about me and all of us as created beings, that we lack knowledge and we lack power to do anything about that. And it's, it's a harsh reality and it's a good starting, it's not a good starting point for swagger, right? Like you bust into a room and, and you say, I'm ignorant and I'm only going to be here for a moment. Hear me roar. Right? Like you can't... I mean, imagine the arrogance that it takes for you to actually believe that. Like, so, so but, but let's remember this. Who is James writing to? It takes you all the way back to chapter 1, I think verse 2, to the 12 tribes of dispersion. So he's writing... Not to an unbelieving world. He's writing to the church. And he's reminding us that your life is only a vapor. It's just a vapor. We're going to get to why that's important. So, so now, now the good news is he's writing to the people of God uh, so we don't have to stop and, and stay in our ignorance and our power. There's something he gives us that's better. Uh, we get to compare our state with what we know to be true about God. And where, where James says, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and your life is just a mist, uh, God, on the other hand, is on display in the Word in, in incredible ways. Uh, and there are things that we can know about Him. And some of these things will seem to be pretty uh, elementary, but I promise you this, you'll never graduate from these thoughts. No matter how long you have walked with God, you will never graduate from these next three things about who God is. That number one, God is all-powerful. He is, he is all-powerful. And now if, if you watch movies, there's always this, um, when it comes to God and, and Satan, there's this dualistic um, battle between them as if they are, are equals, right? You ever watch a, a scary movie with uh, there's demons and a priest walks in, right? That guy never ends up well. Like, you know, he's gone. Somebody next to you is like, hey, who's that guy? And you're like, don't worry about it. He'll be dead in like three seconds. Right? And, and, and there are times it seems like that, that, 
that Satan is stronger than the enemy, I'm sorry, than God, but that's not the case. When you read the Bible, you see something completely different. There's no battle that goes on. That Jesus walks in a room, and you know what the demons say? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. It's not my time yet. It's not my time. Please, please don't take me. Are you, are you here to judge me? No, no, no. Please, please throw me. No joke, really happened. Please throw me into these pigs. Don't, don't mess with me today, please. In fact, at the end of it all, go, go to Revelation sometime this week and read the, the final battle. And understand this, it's not a hundred year war. Jesus arrives and it's done. That's the way it works. It's just done. Instantaneous. There is no triumph of the enemy over God. There is none. Because he's all powerful. And we also know this, that he's all knowing. That, that he, now, you might not like this, right? And when our expectations are self-centered, we definitely don't like this. But, but that God knows every detail at every level and how all of the details form a line of events that are governed by His power. Every single one of them. And I think this is crucial for us to understand who God is. That, that either He's sovereign over all or He's really not sovereign at all. Either He's in control over it all or He's not really in control of, of anything. And this is why our faith must be partnered with our hopes as we adventure with him that, that, that james has already revealed that we we lack knowledge but that's not the case with god that there's never a moment he's always all powerful and then lastly number three he's all places he's all places have you, have you ever been stretched too thin or have you ever had a situation in your life that you're like you know i think i might have bit off more than i can chew in this moment that there's never been one moment in all of existence when God has felt that way. Like He doesn't look around in the heavens right now and say, I think we bit off more than we could in the Middle East. Right? I, I think, I don't know, we've lost control over there. There's, there's never been that moment. And that's good news for us. Because we can stretch ourselves thin, but He never does. He's as powerful and, and as present in the outskirts of the universe as he is in this room right now. And so, so if we're like, I, I don't know what today will bring, and even if I did, I really can't do much about it. If, if that's us, and this is God, then, and then I want to say again, that any grounds for boasting we have, or any swagger, or any self-exaltation we have in our lives, it's just foolishness. Because we can, we can one-up each other, but you, you will never one-up God. Never. And, and so, so how do... How do in fact, we are truly a people who cannot see the forest for the trees. We are truly a people who are stuck in the weeds. We can't see the grand scheme for all the blades of grass, but God can, God does, and He is good. Now, how do we know He's good? Well, the good news is we just look to the cross. We look to the cross because uh, He has come to rescue us. He's come to ransom us. He's come not to condemn us. And the cross is that objective evidence which lays before us on repeat that regardless of the difficulties or the pain we have in this life, we can always look to an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God and we can trust Him. We can trust Him because we see His good work in the cross. 
So this is us, and this is them. This is the relationship we have with Him. And so James says, your plans say something about where your dependence lies. Because the argument is the person says, oh, we're going to go to Oklahoma for the year, and we're going to buy this and sell this, and we're going to live there. And James is like, where, where's your dependence? And why would you want to go to Oklahoma? Right? So, so your plans say something about where your dependence lies. So verse 15, he gives us a counter response to our plans. And he says this, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is, is evil. And here, here's the hard part of talking about humility and pride. Because he's he basically saying, hey, come in and, and understand that God is part of the conversation. Now, here's what we know. There are times in life that we've made decisions where God isn't part of that conversation. He says he needs to be. If the Lord wills, we're going to do that. If God allows that, we're going to go take those steps. That's part of adventuring with God. Saying, hey God, I believe you are leading me here. If you are, then I'm going to step. And I will know as it succeeds. And now, but now as we talk about, because he says, hey, not including God in your conversations, it's, it's just, it's arrogance. And it's dangerous. And I think the, the hard part about talking about humility is... Um, is can you really know if you're humble? <laughs> right? Like, like, like if, if you know you're humble, aren't you actually not humble? <laughs> right? I mean, if, if you claim God is growing you in your humility, uh, didn't you just brag about how you've mastered it? And, and, and so, so it's, it's kind of slippery. But then um, what, do you, what do you do on the other side of that? What if, what, if, what if you're an arrogant blowhard who doesn't think you're arrogant? You just think you're awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of you know these people. Some of you might be sitting next to them, right? I'm just joking. Man, I think you're great. Um, isn't it true that, that, that most people don't think they walk in pride? They don't. And they, they, just, they just think they're good at what they do, and so... So how are we supposed to navigate the complex issues of, of humility versus pride? And, and I'm going to give you three things. It's not three simple steps for mastering humility. Okay, understand that. You're like, oh, I feel like I'm going to work on humility this week. I'm going to master it. Uh, these, these aren't three simple steps, but these are. this is a good litmus test for how we um, pursue humility. And the first one is simply this, that you would understand and acknowledge your weaknesses. As, as you grow in Christ, you would understand that um, where your weaknesses lie. In fact, uh, Paul talks about this when it comes to how the body of Christ works in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14 through 20. He says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And, and if the ear which should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And there's a lot, there's a lot packed into those verses. Um, but as we try to focus on this morning, here's what, here's what He's saying. 
not everyone is everything. Not, not everyone is everything. So, so, so that means uh, every one of us has specific strengths and specific weaknesses. Some are eyes, ears, hands, feet. Nobody is the complete package. And that's good news. Because God didn't design it that way. So, so the implication is that you're going to need some help. And the command of the Lord is that we would belong to one another as we grow in the gospel. And part, part of this process is knowing and acknowledging that, yeah, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm not strong at that. And this actually should set us free because you don't have to bear the weight of being responsible for everything. So, so, so you have certain gifts. You have certain abilities given to you by God. And so you're freed up to know what you do well and what you don't do very well. And, and one surefire way of knowing that you walk in pride is walking around saying, I have no weaknesses. I'm good. You guys are welcome that I get to hang out with you. It's, it's thinking that, and we could talk about it in regards to the church, we can talk about it in regards to your office, it's walking around thinking that the place can't exist without you. Because what has James told us? You are a mist. <laughs> that you, you are replaceable. I mean, I, I can think of moments in my life, especially when, in church, thinking, oh God, that, those doors can't stay open without me. And God's like, you're, you're very replaceable. <laughs> very yeah, like a broom sometimes could replace you. All right? So, so there's this, this side where you walk in and you're arrogant and you say, I have no weaknesses, and that, that's pride. Um, but then there's, there's the flip side that's equally damaging. It's, it's believing that you're so talentless and there's nothing good inside you that God could ever use. Now, now think of, and I think that more of us fall in that category then we fall on the other. Um, it's the argument of, of, of God, I'm not good at fill in the blank. God, don't you remember when I fill in the blank? God, can't you see I am fill in the blank? All the while God is calling you into adventure with Him. And now think about the level of arrogance you have to have in your life to where you say, God, I'm so disqualified, I can't be used by you. Right? We don't think of it in that sense. Because we think of it from our own deficiencies. But yet God says, you know, I, I've gifted you. I've chosen you. I've given you a purpose for you to do what I've called you to do. And so for you to walk in and say, hey God, you got the wrong person. Can you imagine the amount of arrogance you take before God there? That I know this better than you do? And so, so the Bible, it, it's just... If you, if you read the Bible, like nobody can work in the church. Right? You look at the people and you're like, no, you can't. Like, could you imagine sitting in front of an interview with Paul? Be like, hey, I see on your resume uh, you murdered like 150 people. Um, will you be doing that again? No? Okay. We'll put you with the kids. Right? Hey, David. David, I see here that there was a season in your life when you were kind of sleeping around um, and that, you know, there was that Uriah guy that died. And, 
so is do you, are there plan are you continuing to do that or have you stopped it no okay probationary worship pastor that's where we're going to put you in i mean the the, the bible it, it's just filled with broken messy people and, and god enters into that space and he, and he makes much of his name through those lives and so, so arrogance is, is the brother who thinks he's not weak, and it's the, the brother or the sister who, who feels that they're so weak, God can't do anything with them. Number two, uh, number one, you, uh, you understand and acknowledge your weaknesses. Number two, you stay curious. Now, work, work, work with me here, um, that, that you stay curious, because curiosity is an acknowledgement that you don't know something. Right? It, it says, it says it, that's interesting. I don't know about that. Let me learn something. So, so curiosity it becomes this medicine against pride because it, by default it says, I don't know everything. I want to learn more about it. In fact, the more we grow, I think the more careful we have to become that we don't lose curiosity. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm uh, 8. Uh, and David, he's writing and he says these words, When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place. And then he asks this beautiful, important question, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. That David is just out in, the, in his backyard and he sees the stars and he knows that God has created them and he says, oh, whew, who am I? Like, why could, why after making that would you want to make this? Why? It doesn't make any sense. And, and so, so he's blown away by the immensity of what he sees and that, that marveling causes him to think about God and his curiosity fuels this pursuit into the deeper things of God. He's, he's being wooed by the Almighty and he gladly keeps stepping deeper and deeper and deeper. And pride, pride will stop walking because it doesn't see the value in the steps. So you have to stay curious so you can grow deeper. Then number three, you acknowledge how others provide and serve. This is helpful, right? Because when you do that, you get your eyes off of you and you put it on other people. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this has been a theme running throughout the book of James, that, that we are able to spot and encourage the strength of others. Um, that that we, are, we are not experts in how people fall short, but we are experts in where they excel where God is at work, and we have a front row seat to see that show. And this is, this is one of the ways community matters, because nobody is everything, and we need one another. So, so, so we need to acknowledge and speak life into. We need to encourage those who have shaped and molded us, who have spoken into us, who have confronted us in love, who have built us up. We, we need to learn and acknowledge the role they play and then we need to do that same thing for other people. Then we need to be, be mentored, and then we need to go mentor others. That's what the Bible calls discipleship. It's the way, it's the way it plays out. 
And so, so how do you use this as a litmus test that, that if you're always the hero and every success is simply because of your hard work, you're arrogant. Not, I didn't say not that you're probably arrogant or not that you're possibly arrogant. You are arrogant, right? If you wear the cape and everyone should just be grateful for super you, then you're arrogant. And I feel sorry for the people you got to hang around. And so if this is true, if this is how we pursue humility, how we see whether or not arrogance has taken root in our lives, how then should we live because of what James is teaching in this text? Right? And we can, we can start wrapping this up, Swan. Because here, here's what we have to consider. Uh, that, that, that James isn't coming in, because this is, this is really easy, because you can be very religious with this passage. And you can say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start saying, well, if the Lord wills to everything. You know, would you like to go to Taco Casa? If the Lord wills, I'll go to Taco Casa. (laughs) Would you like to go to Walmart today? If the Lord wills, I'll go to Walmart today. And you're like, well, I'm doing what the Bible says. Right? Now, that's that's not what, what James is saying. He's not saying that you don't make plans because as you read the Bible, you find out that, that future plans aren't sinful and, and they're not wrong because the Bible views planning and preparation as a virtue. In fact, that you can go to Proverbs, just read all of Proverbs and just note how many times it talks about the importance of planning. So, so, so what's happening here then? And, and I think it's interesting and it's helpful because James's point is that since human plans and even our lives will, will quickly disappear, we ought to take thought into the larger matters having to do with faith and submission to the will of God. That, that our plans should be informed and driven by a greater reality. Because the illustration here is we're going to go make some money. That's it. That's the value. We're going we're to go to that town. We're going to make money. That's the end of the adventure. And James is saying that's, that's a shallow life. That's not helpful. He says your plans need to draw you somewhere else. That, that it's not that um, having a vacation planned in July is evil, um, but, it, but it's asking what's driving that vacation. It's asking what's driving your business, what's driving your plans that ultimately matters. Since there is a sovereign king of glory who has a mission, who has created us, then who he is, what he has called uh, us to do, is what drives the areas of our lives. This is the argument James makes. James's argument is our faith isn't privatized, it's not pulled out, it's not separated out over here, but, it, but rather that it's integrated into everything that we do. Everything we do involves God in the planning. So he says, if the Lord wills. So, so we, we know this because in Colossians 3, and I'm just going to share this, these last couple of verses, Colossians 3 gives us a great picture of this. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now pay attention to what he says in verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears. When Christ, who is your life, appears. When Christ, who is your life, 
appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. It's, it's my favorite line in all of Colossians. When Christ, who is your life, and the letter James is writing would crush us if it wasn't for Christ. Because you couldn't. You could not hold up to the standards of what James is telling us to do apart from Jesus. And now since it is because of Jesus, we can grow through this letter that we're wrestling with and we can ask ourselves about where does our dependence lie? Do, do, does it lie in our plans or in our God? Does it, does it, do we plan seeking or do we please Him? Uh, I'm sorry. Do we plan seeking to please Him or ourselves? Which is why verse 17 forces us and it cuts right through us and it exposes all of our excuses and it calls our plans out for what they are. If I make plans knowing that God is telling me to do something else, it's called sin. If I make plans and it has little to nothing to do with the story of God, that's a sin. So since Jesus is our life and since we don't see it all as much as we claim to, then he says, let's spend our time and our energy making sure that those things that we do plan out in our lives, that it has a purpose. And that story doesn't end with us. So, so mainly that the dependence of our plans reveals our dependence on God. And I wonder how consistent we are with that. Because I think there are times, right? There are times that, that we seek counsel, we seek prayer, we fast, and we ask God, what do you want me to do about this area? But is that in all areas of our lives? And James says it should be. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up today, let me make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer, uh, Mark and, and McAdee are going to be over here. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you never asked Jesus into your life. We want to give you that opportunity. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you love us. We thank You that You call us to depend on You for all matters, especially our plans. So Father, I pray You would help us evaluate the plans we make in our lives and ask simply this, does it depend on You to make it happen or not? So Father, take our eyes away from lesser things. We love You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.